Studs on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm sitting across the table from Dave Cooper. Thanks for coming to my place, Dave. Mm, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're someone who I've wanted to interview for 
quite a long time, mm-hmm. so I'm very happy to uh, have you here uh, in the middle of your extensive West Coast tour. Mm. You don't do tours or anything like that very often. No, this is actually my first book tour ever. I've done a couple signings in the past, but um, yeah, public peer appearances aren't really my what I'm into. So, but um, I guess with this latest book, I've been out, I haven't published anything in about five years, so that felt like getting back out there and kind of reconnecting with people. And that's the new book, Bent. Mm-hmm. Now, is it? I haven't. Do you have a copy? Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I'm afraid I don't. I was. Supposed to get Sorry. a copy in the mail, so I haven't oh, actually yeah. had a full look they were, through it. They were all shipped directly from the printer, the printer in China, directly to the venues. I don't think oh, they've okay. even made it to any stores yet. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't gotten a chance to take a full look. I've taken a look through some of it, the stuff I could get from various sources. And, of course, it's lovely as all the rest. It turned out great. The printing is, is spot on. Is it like the previous two, the underbelly and... Uh, yeah, it's a little overbite. thicker. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it could definitely sit right alongside the other two. I think the work is far superior, of course. The, the quality keeps getting better as, it, as I become a better painter. And it, it's fascinating. It seems, um, from what I could see, it's getting very translucent. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, something I'm always shooting for, and frankly, I don't ever get close to what I'm imagining, but at least I'm progressing. I'm curious about the, um, the attraction to its oil painting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading somewhere about how you can almost just kind of go into a, a fit, like a just a, I don't know what kind of state to properly describe it, but you kind of just zone out mm. into it. Kind of a trance, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, when it's going great, it just feels like just so organic and natural and just like I'm just flowing right out of me put on some heavy metal or radio head or something <laughs> and I'm set. Nice. A little rock out. It's pretty rare that, you know, you get into that that sort of transcendent mood, but it's worth um, it's worth shooting for. Well, it, it's interesting. Like, I've spent the last week reading a ridiculous amount of your work. Um, and, I mean, creativity is very important to you and always, like, you seem to constantly be creating, always needing to be doing something, having something, um, and painting something you've been doing a long time. Mm-hmm. Where did you f- kind of feel that personal shift? I'd always wanted to be a painter. Um, like, I've always wanted to do a lot of things, uh, but early on, there was some sort of market or um, acceptance in my comics, so that's sort of what I focused on for a long time. But during that during the whole time that I was creating my career in comics, I was also trying to get into galleries, and like, you know, I had no idea how to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, at some point, I had enough notoriety in comics that I could start sort of parlaying that into other fields. So um, once I was, you know, once galleries started taking an interest in my painting, um, I just kind of switched focuses, and you know, I thought for a long time that that was going to be the thing for the rest of my life and I probably would never do comics again uh, but just in the last year I've had this very sort of disturbing shift again where it's yeah. like I started feeling sort of dissatisfied with where I'm going and realizing that you know I'm always going to need variety in my career I'm always going to need to do different things I'm, if I, as soon as I settle on one thing 
it, it seems fine for a while, but then I become really dissatisfied. I need to make new discoveries or try well, new things. One thing I was reading is how you <coughs> like taking on like commercial work. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, where did you work? That? <laughs> I can't remember. I it's true, your interview with Pat. Commercial work is the kind of thing that I always try to avoid, and then something will come along where I can't avoid it, and I'm like, oh, shit, i got to do this. And inevitably, it kind of smacks, wakes me up, mm-hmm. and uh, makes me do something that I don't normally do, and, like, reinvigorates, reinvigorates me and makes me want to go in some other direction that I never expected. Well, yeah, it's kind of saying you kind of force in a couple different ways. You're forced to create something that you wouldn't normally create, but you're also forced with uh, deadlines and right. yeah, that's expectations. True. Often when you have to make something quickly, you don't allow yourself to get sort of caught up in you know, silly details and um, focusing on one corner yeah. of painting. And, and sometimes it just forces you to like zero right in on the most important aspect of whatever it is and just sort of nail it right away. I want to get a little bit of like creative background um, for folks that may not be familiar so much with your work. Um, your early work was very was the aerosol work, um, right? Early days. Uh, as far as um, teaching you, what did that kind of bring to the table for you for creative work? I don't mean necessarily the, the the early shows, but like when you right. the, the volume about. I think it, it instilled in me like a, <laughs> a good solid work ethic, um, which is actually pretty important for artists, although a lot of people don't think so. Um, uh, creatively, I don't think I learned so much from that phase. I ended up sort of trying to um, cleanse that from my <laughs> psyche for yeah. many years and just kind of do the opposite of what I'd been doing that whole time. But... Um, I mean, that's pretty important, learning that you have to work hard if you want to achieve anything. I think that's really the only thing I learned during that time. How long is an average work day for you? Well, that that is pre, pre-parenthood <laughs> and post-parenthood. It used to be like 10 hours a day. Well, maybe that's pushing it. 8 to 10 hours a day, 7 days a week, you know, constantly. Yeah. And uh, since I became a parent, it's more like... Right now it's probably about six hours a day, um, if I'm lucky, with a couple of days off a week. Does it adjust it how you do your work? Yeah, I became much less, uh, or more discriminating. You know, I won't take anything that, because I know it's going to be taking me away from my family, mm-hmm. um, I won't take anything that's not very important to me. So that means like freelance work or galleries or... I've sort of... I. Very rarely do any commercial work anymore, so it's almost always um, personal work. Yeah, yeah. Personal work that ends up being sold, but uh, personal nonetheless. And comics is very much personal outlet. I find with your work, I mean, there's no, mm. there's no true vagueness about it. I think right around the time I had my son, my whole life shifted. Mm-hmm. I, Coincidentally, I was kind of coming to the end of my interest in comics at that time. I felt like I'd hit the pinnacle of what I was capable of, and I decided to just basically... <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> d- 
decided to not do comics anymore and yeah. just focus on painting. And then we had Jake, and it just became so perfect because comics are a very uh, time-intensive endeavor. And painting is, I mean, although it takes a lot of time and effort, it's much easier for me. There's Just because there's not so much process involved. I mean, it's basically coming up with a single image, executing it, and delivering it to a buyer. Uh, with comics, you know, there's scripting and laying out and penciling and inking. So a comic for you would be very, um, a lot of process as far as making it. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't just be yeah. slapping some... Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's like, uh, I used to call it like the accounting of the art world. Yeah. It's just like, it's all sort of technical things. I mean, that's, that's kind of a grim picture of it. Yeah. But it's, uh, there's really a lot of detailed process involved. I'm really looking through uh, your work and looking through like your Flickr account. Um, I'm really fascinated by how much process you put out there just showing folks what it goes through mm. to create a painting. Mm. Uh, and I just wonder if you want to share some of that, like what is a point A to point B to point Z with the painting? Um... Yeah, I mean, I love I love sharing that stuff. Most people, a lot of artists who s see that I do that are like, are you crazy? Like, people are going to steal your style and learn how to paint on you. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. <laughs> are they crazy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, you could take a technique and show it to a hundred different artists and they're all going to mm -hmm. you know, come up with a different thing. Uh, so, yeah, I love, I love doing it. What's, uh, say, when you take an image... Um, like one I, I remember seeing it was the uh, one I think it was Eddie Table and the tree oh, being yeah. chased by right. the group of girls yeah, yeah. Um, like maybe take me behind that yeah that was I've, I've had an idea for a, a graphic novel for years now that I'm too afraid to um, execute basically so I keep coming up with these drawings involving the characters just to sort of satisfy my interest in them uh, so that image was basically sort of illustrating this idea that I have. It's basically like a kind of a zombie story where little characters um, start out one way and then they become uh, attacked by little sort of black worm parasites which turns them kind of backwards like the, f their, the front of their face goes rotten and just sort of blank and the back of their head kind of pops open and their skull becomes teeth and uh, <laughs> so, so I thought it'd be neat to create this sort of uh, helix tree mm -hmm. that I, that they could be sort of running up uh, onto the branches, you know, up in a in a swirl, and all the, all along going from one to the other in a kind of sequential manner. So, do you find through your work there is kind of a narrative being played? Yeah, yeah. I think my best work is is generally narrative. When I shy away from that. I think be things become a little static. You know, if I just do like a sort of portrait style painting of some yeah. character doing nothing, it's like it's uh, it's a nice decoration, but I, I guess it doesn't say much. You're self-taught predominantly. Mm -hmm. um, do you have folks that were really important as far as like developing? As an artist, I can obviously mm -hmm. thank Mark Ryden, I think, in one of the a weasel. Yeah, in my later career, for sure, Mark, Mark Ryden's a huge influence. You know, he's like um, top of the heap, for sure. Um, 
it's funny, like, I look at your work and, like, Mark's work and then someone like Trevor Brown, it's all taking something in a completely different direction. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of artists in that scene that are, that sort of, they feel like one big gang, but then we're all sort of so disparate, it's ridiculous. Really. Yeah. I don't know if we have that much in common. Um, but in my childhood, I was very influenced by an artist, Tommy Ungerer. Um, he, uh, he summered in Nova Scotia, he was a friend of my parents when I was little. I got to see a lot of his work at a very early age, and got to see him draw, and, and um, just being able to see somebody like that draw and make a career out of their mm-hmm. art, I think that was the big switch for me. I remember in the interview you did with Pat, where you're talking about like one particular piece that was really kind of grotesque, mm-hmm. or it was like a skeleton. Yeah, I still, in black. I still have that one in our bedroom. This <laughs> huge... Uh, Lithograph, um, must be about five, five feet by four feet or something. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a very, um, I think that had a big impact on me as a child because, again, I'm... Do you want to describe it for It's uh, basically like an x-ray of a woman who's clothed and uh, her bones are all sort of distorted and, you know, like her breast, her breastbone is actually a bone and uh, it's pretty gruesome, but... Um, you know that I think I think that sort of goes back to um, all the transparency in my work now. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was he was a he was a fantastic artist. Is he? Did, is there any collections of his stuff? Or is yeah, I think uh, actually I, I saw a uh, Tashin collection. Oh, nice. A big fat one of his pornographic pornographic drawings. He used to do children's books. And then he do, you know, commercial work for big uh, New York agencies, and then he do these weird pornographic drawings. So in that sense, I think he was also kind of a role model for me. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know too many artists who are like that, you know, and I think it's it, it's interesting that he's that way, and I ended up yeah. that way as well. It's fascinating, like, especially you and, like, Johnny Ryan, too. Like, you both do very... Yeah, that's true. Uh, trying to think of the right word. Uh, very thorough work uh, <laughs> in your personal stuff, and then you both do like wonderful having yeah. children. Well, work. actually, come to think of it, Johnny's an even bigger um, example because you know he'll do these fun little cartoons, little gag strips for yeah. floating it. But then Prison Pit is like <laughs> <laughs> the most getting his face out on <laughs> <laughs> the most offensive thing you could possibly imagine. So yeah, he, I pale in comparison to Johnny. <laughs> But no, I've always I've always loved the idea of contrast, like that you can do sincere, authentic work for children that you you know mm-hmm. it's just pure and fun, and then there's a different part of your personality that that is just as important, yeah. vital, yeah, vital expression. Um, Bagel's Lucky Hat that that was your your first children's book, mm-hmm. and you you've been playing that one for a while. Yeah, yeah. I was looking through your old site and then your older site. Oh yeah, you went back into that. And you had like the original with a different name and a different color scheme. What was it called? Oh, Sponges. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, we named it after um, a kitten that we found and we named him Sponge because he would just eat and eat and sponge off us. But, um, so that, I think I put that together before there was a Spongebob Squarepants but then once we started pitching the book it was like, no, (laughs) we can't. There's there's only one sponge out there. (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, that was. I mean, I've always wanted to do children's books for ever since I was a child myself. Um, and I tried several times in my twenties, I guess. And um, again, this is something that with my a little bit of notoriety that I had found in comics, I was able to sort of get more interest from people. Um, but it took a long time. It's not easy to switch from one one realm to another. I remember I interviewed uh, Francoise Mouly, and she's doing the Tomb Books line. And she's talking about uh, the challenge she had of being able to explain to folks, in, in the context of children's books, of an author being both writer and illustrator. Right. And was that something that was a barrier to you? I don't think so. Um, yeah, it never really got... Um, that was never... Um, suggested as a, you know, a problem when we were pitching books they would just always decline <laughs> <laughs> over and over and over again um, but once it got finally picked up um, you know it took a long time to get it made even after the, after we had negotiated the contract but uh, finally it's out any plans to do more in the future? I'd love to yeah the process of making that book was pretty difficult and kind of turned me off of publishing and children's books for a while just the the barriers or like editorial input and yeah it, it um it was it, it's a book that should have taken about nine months to make and it took five years because of various uh well i noticed that it was recolored yeah actually i redrew everything oh you redrew yeah. it oh okay yeah the stuff on the website was done such a long time ago that when we finally got the book deal i was like i don't want to try to match what i drew yeah. five years ago you know so i just re penciled the whole thing and painted and colored. It's fascinating looking through your work because your art style does you change quick. Mm. Like there's no, you know, you're, you're not going to have like some like Pete Bag where you have a Pete Bag comic from now. It's going to be right. similar to a Pete Bag comic from ten years ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm slowing down. I think though. Yeah, I've noticed my work is uh, staying similar for longer than than it used to. I used to. I think I made a more conscious effort in the old days. If I was going from one graphic novel to another, I would sort of switch it up work pretty hard to, to do something different well especially uh, with Suckle Crumple and Ripple did I get them all right? Mm -hmm. okay um, I mean there's definitely I mean Ripple's completely different right yeah um, there's, there's some similarities between Suckle and Crumple a little bit yeah as far artistically and story wise yeah I think of Suckle as sort of a, a scratchy or sort of Robert Crummy style and crumple. a lot of some woodring. Yeah, a lot of woodring. I was big into woodring at the time. It's actually really lucky I didn't do that book a few months prior because I did this short story um, that looked way too much like woodring. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't suckle like that, it would have been pretty embarrassing. Somewhere I have a hyena where he did the mm. the cover with, yeah, yeah. with Frank on it. Yeah, that was a big honor at the time. Still have that at home. It's a it's a fun cover. But back really to the children's books, I didn't yeah. really answer your question. I do want to do more. I, I, originally, I wanted to do one every year and just create this whole parallel career for myself. Yeah. Because I really love children's books. Like I, it's one of my favorite forms. So uh, I'm hoping at some point to somehow make that happen again. Do you test them out on your uh, on your kids? Uh, well, they were too young with the first one, and I haven't really gotten too far. I have three other books that I want to do but I don't think they're ready for test marketing yet. <laughs> but I would I would read them to Jake and Valley. 
Put the kids to task. <laughs> Here's your job for today. Um, Dan and Larry, it's one of the few books where you kind of use um, such abstract ciphers, mm-hmm. um, if that sounds right. Uh, and I'm curious, uh, one of the people you think in the book is Ted Stern. Oh, yeah. And I'm just wondering, like... Um, I was... Really inspired by Ted's work at the time with Fuzz and Pluck. There's just something about it that seemed to completely thumb its nose at everything. Yeah. I, it gave me a lot of um, courage to just sort of let it flow out and not really give a crap, you know? Uh, not think, not worry so much about narrative and just kind of access the information I wanted to get out and just get it out. Was it kind of more of an automatic creativity? So, yeah. There was just something about his work that kind of allowed me to access a different part of myself I think. It's interesting um, I interviewed him and he was he had done these things in the past called automatic drawings kind of similar to you know Jason McLean mm-hmm. kind of similar to that that kind of stuff so I mean that's it's really neat um, just his background before getting into comics because hmm. he wasn't even a cartoonist when he was in Rubber Blanket no? No. Was he in animation or something? No, he was a sculptor. Oh. <laughs> I know, I'm pretty sure now he's an animator. Yeah, he's an animation in L.A. and stuff. So. Hmm. It's, it's interesting to see where different folks go with their art. Yeah. Well, he's, But is he still doing comics, though? Yeah. 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 I he's, thought I saw a fuzzing Yeah, he's in the, the mom you're in. Oh. Okay. With the, yeah, uh, that's right. Take the Norton to uh, yeah, France. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, I think my favorite part of that was seeing... Uh, the, your version of Mobius and Arzak. <laughs> yeah, there was a whole other part I wanted in that story, but Gavin didn't. Gavin doesn't take direction well. Like, I, I always give him a bunch of ideas and notes, and and hope that he'll write something for me. And he usually just disregards everything. <laughs> but I had this whole thing where they were going to be obsessed with uh, Hergé, and they were going to fly to France, and they were going to dig him up, and, <laughs> and Pip was going to like. Walk around like as if RJ was a puppet and stuff, and like he'd have this bag of bones that he's like puppeteering with. Oh, he would be a uh, he'd make some enemies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah. I didn't realize my friend was telling me just how uh, Sue hungry the owner of the estate is. The RJ is that right? Oh yeah, anything pretty that's diligent. Like, yeah, they wanted to include like Tintes or some national. Thing in Belgium, and the guy's like, "Nope, <laughs> gonna sue you." <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the same about um, like Matt Groening's lawyer, for instance. They they just are very diligent about going after people, so that hopefully the word gets out that you know you just do. don't fuck around with us. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't pay. Yeah, I think that's what you need to do at that level, you know, because everybody thinks that they can do whatever they want with with anything these days. Well, speaking of uh, of Matt Groening, you did some work on Futurama, and I had no idea. And I got the season one DVD, and I was looking through the extras like a nerd. And I see that it's like a Dave Cooper That's Oh Dave. yeah, that's right. There's some on there. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated about that uh, as an outlet. What's it? I'm fascinated about that as an outlet for you. Well, it was a great. I mean, it was a really fun, exciting time for me. Um, we. Uh, I mean, I did. I must have done hundreds and hundreds of drawings, and only I'm sure five percent of them ever actually got anywhere. Particularly, like the um, 
the uh, Planet Express ship. Mm -hmm. I think I must have done like thirty designs for that, and, and they ended up going with something completely different. You know, they get. I'm sure they get a, a bunch of different people to work on projects like that in the beginning. Have you done something that? No, that was the first. That really um, opened a lot of doors for me, actually. Yeah. yeah. Matt Groening uh, came to one of my signings in San Diego and let me know that, that he wanted me to work on this new secret project. And, um, you know, I only spent, God, it was a long time ago, I don't remember, but probably three or four, or maybe six months working on it long distance. And, um, but after that, I mean, I had instant credentials. Yeah. I was getting calls from, from all kinds of companies for, for similar work. So I, I'm eternally grateful to Matt for that. Have you done other animation design that you're proud of? Not really. No. <laughs> it's, it's like commercial <laughs> it, work and it's... Well, you know what really happened? Uh, this, this is why I got so turned off by animation is it... Like, I, I crave that feeling of completion mm -hmm. that you get from comics or painting. And they're just, uh, af after a while, if you stop feeling that, it, it just kills your interest completely. And so I, I stayed away from animation for a long time. But uh, I'm getting back into it again. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Doing, like, your own vision? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I made a music video with uh, a friend of mine, Nick Cross, for uh, the Canadian band Danko Jones. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, it went so well, like it was just a total dream. Everything I did came up better than I thought. Um, so I realized the secret is to find a real talented animator <laughs> and <laughs> get him to do all the work for you. Uh, so w Nick and I are working on a, another project. Like coincidentally, right after uh, the music, soon after the music video, I got a call from uh, saying that they'd like me to pitch, a, you know, a, a project to them. That would be amazing. So after, it's been about a year, year, been about a year, I guess, that we've been sort of going back and forth, and uh, we did an animated test for them, and um, so far it looks pretty good. I mean, television is is very unpredictable, but yeah, I feel pretty positive about it. Have you had an interest in animation in the past? Or is there any particular um, that? Yeah, I mean. Up? Yeah, uh, Bugs Bunny. I mean, I think that's one of, another one of my biggest influences. When I look at those cartoons now, you know, after not seeing it for 10 or yeah. 20 years, I'll, I'll see an episode and just be like, oh my god, that is like, that had such a huge impact on me, just the movement or the gag or whatever. Uh, and, you know, old Disney. I wasn't really exposed to a lot of cartoons like some of my colleagues when I was little. We lived in a small town. Mm -hmm. You know, we had like two Canadian channels. Don't see I remember growing up not being able to take cable mm -hmm. in the small town I lived in for a while. Yeah, so I think it was really different for a lot of my American colleagues. You know, they were mm -hmm. exposed to all kinds of crazy Tex Avery cartoons and stuff that I think of as being kind of obscure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you find inspiration in what you're given, yeah. you're, what you're subjected to. It's an interesting term to use. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what you're going to look at. Um, there are some predominant themes going through your work. Uh, one of the big ones is kind of the... Uh, challenges of relationships, the mm. awkwardness of relationships, I guess. Right. And I'm curious what you're exploring with that, or if there is something you're exploring with that. Well, I think uh, 
Yeah, past tense exploring. I was explored. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I was pretty fixated on that kind of stuff just because I was such a dopey. You know, I, I just was not good with women at all. You know? Yeah, I had a. Thank God I found Julie when I was eighteen, but even after finding her, you know, it still was sort of the, the subject that I was that it was always popping up in my work mm-hmm. every time I sat down to write a story. Um, yeah, just real insecure and afraid and, you know, longing. That stuff would just keep coming up and up and up. You feel it's kind of expunged now? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I uh, feel much more sort of confident. The older I get, the, the better I feel about myself, I find. And being a parent, you know, it's just, it, it's not as important no. to me anymore. Well, yeah, your priorities shift yeah. in a big way from, I guess, introspection to putting it out there. Yeah. Or what you're putting out there, too, I guess. I think, uh, you know, the fact that I still paint only women. Incompromising <laughs> <laughs> uh, positions. women doing strange things, you know, that's all linked to the same problem I suppose <laughs> but, uh, but yeah I'm, I just got fed up of writing about that over and over again I think I kind of beat that horse pretty good is that part of what how you feel kind of or how you did feel kind of done with comics it's like part of it it's yeah this subject is just mm-hmm. like yeah I think I I just felt like I'd done everything I could do and I hit the you know the I sort of done the, the best work done it the best that I could mm-hmm. um, but you know I'm starting to get the itch again to do comics strangely oh, a lot of people are excited <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't think I'm going to be writing my own comics like I, I think I'll be collaborating with people because I just don't when I write material for myself it never surprises me and I need that sense of um, surprise and discovery mm-hmm. when I'm working on something you've had some interesting collaborators when you've had Gavin yeah um He's probably some kind of media mogul now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got his finger in a lot of pies. <laughs> um, I guess uh, Johnny. Johnny. I wrote with Johnny a lot. Yeah, because for Nickelodeon, right? For the magazine. Yep. And in fact, he's co-creating this uh, television. Oh, thing. nice. So we got the two of the most disturbing <laughs> comic book artists in the world <laughs> making a charming children's television show um there's this uh cartoon from the 20s and um it's just this like penis walking around and falls off some other stuff like on its testicles I think maybe familiar Um, and apparently the person who did it was uh so the guy that was doing Woody Woodpecker Mm. It was like the same time. Apparently, he was just known for making all these like outrageously <laughs> filthy, <laughs> filthy cartoons. That's funny. Yeah, I, where the, where would they show them though? Just to their friends? Just to their friends? Yeah. yeah. I got a I did a little animation thing here, and Kim Dyke sent me this like collection of oh, yeah. like a bunch of different movies, like Crazy Cat and Ignatz one, where Ignatz pulls herself into Crazy Cat's uh, rectum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't remember this, that strip. And then there's this sign that says "Watch out for manholes," and they figure <laughs> that was done by the um, 
by the Columbia crew that was doing the Crazy Cat cartoons at that point. Okay. So hmm. it's you know it's not unusual. Yeah. It's uh, another guy was telling me the. Uh, they d- when they did the Care Bears in Vancouver, mm. and so a lot of local folks, the older animators, were involved. It. And they told me this is the most disgusting Care Bear drawings afterward. Just to kind of, yeah, Angry just to let themselves man. out. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that was talked about, and I, I know it's not happening now, but I'm curious about, it, is the Dungeon Book. Oh yeah, that yeah. that's do. one of my big regrets. You know, I, I agreed to do. Um, to illustrate a book for Louis Trondheim and Joan Spar, two of my favorite cartoonists. Mm-hmm. Um, a book in the Donjon series. Well, the Monster. Yeah. Books. Oh, is that what they're called? The they have the the Dungeon, and then they have like these series with other folks drawing it. That's kind of oh, okay. Like okay. Yeah, I haven't actually seen any of those. But yeah, I, I basically really wanted. You know, I was excited about it. I wanted to do it, and I, I strung them along forever. And I guess it was just at a point where I couldn't imagine doing comics. Yeah. Like, uh, sometimes it's just, it just seems so overwhelming. You know, it feels like a project that would that I could never, ever finish. So they were so patient for so long. And then finally <laughs> they just said, we're going to give this to somebody else. I think it's and the like, one that Keeloffer did. Oh, yeah? Maybe. I think oh, I God, I would hate to see it now because, I, you know, I, it would have been so fun to do. If I just had the the time and the uh, patience for it, I could definitely see a lot of linkages as far as your artwork between Lewis and, and John. Mm. It's interesting. Like, were they in the nineties? Were there guys you were aware of at all? Or yeah, um, I think I used. I can't remember when they started translating their books, but I know even when they were uh, only French, and I don't speak French by the way, I would pick them up and just be like. Especially Juan, I love his work so much. Um, So I'm kind of hoping that someday we'll be able to work together. (laughs) If they can forgive me. They seem to be very forgiving. Yeah. I think they just were like, huh? Why is he not doing this? Everyone else will do this. Yeah. uh, One of my friends who interviewed with Lewis. And he mentioned that you were going to do one. And then the other one he said was Robert Crumb. And what? I don't know. This wow. may have just been like Lewis being like hyperbolic or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I remember Craig Thompson was supposed to do one. Did that ever happen? He's still doing Habibi, his mm. 800 page oh. book. It's done, but he's got to do like the edits now. But he's been doing that since Blankets. Cause I, w- I thought he would be an excellent choice for uh, a donjon. Um, but speaking of Joan Spar, uh, I read um, Sardine with uh, with my son at that time all the time. Nice. It's a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful series. Collaboration with uh, Emmanuel Gilbert. Yeah. In fact, from what I understand, it's just him now, right? Safar or Gilbert? Uh, Gilbert. Oh, maybe. Apparently, he, he used to just write it and then Joan kind of handed it over and then he draws it too. Oh, okay. Talented folks, I can imagine. Yeah. Those two sharing a studio producing massive amounts of work. I really envy that that kind of um, being that productive. Do you work, are you able to work around other folks? Or are you mm. pretty solitary? It's never really been, uh, never really come up. I don't like, um, like the only place I can work is in my studio. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not the kind of person that can work in the park with a sketch pad or, you know, I need, 
don't know if solitude is the right word, but I need sort of like security or the feeling that I'm in a place that is devoted to doing this. Do you feel like um, when you put yourself out there, especially with your work, that's very um, graphic? Um, uh, do you kind of feel like you need to have it complete before really exposing it or putting Showing it out there? To people? Yeah. No, not at all. No, I'll show everything to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Come on by. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't bother me at all. Okay. So, curious about. Um, I've got the table here, the Pippin Norton toy, the, the Eddie table toy. Um, tell me about the joy you had making toys. Mm. That was a uh, highlight for me. I loved it. The It all came out of uh, my friend Connor Libby, who started this company. He, um, we met in San, San Diego. We'd always hang out every year. He was a television producer at the time, and he, I think he hired me for a couple of little things. And I, every year I would be looking around for somebody to um, make my toys. Yeah. And there was really no interest. I think it was kind of pre-designer toys, so they were like, well, why would we want to do Before that? Before the fat rock. There was Enid. I think Enid was the only one that... That, uh, that was there at the time. Really? That, that really inspired me. So I wanted to have my version of the unit. <laughs> so after a while, Connor was just like, well, you know, I have... My mother was in the toy industry, and my wife's in the toy industry, and her father was in the toy industry, and I actually know a lot about getting toys made, so maybe we should just start a company and make some toys. So, um, so I guess Eddie was the first one that they made, which took really really long time um, but turned out exactly the way I wanted it nice he's um, Connor's just a really great guy to collaborate with so when he's when his company tanked I basically sort of lost interest in doing toys for a while well, I'd like to do them again but I think I need to find another collaborator that inspires me like that would you use the same subject matter or is there particular characters you want to explore I have a bunch way. of ideas for toys that are sort of a little more conceptual, I guess. They'd still be based on cartoon characters and stuff, but I'd like to have some interesting gimmicks to them. Like I notice um, in the back of the weasels where you have the... Uh, the ad? The, not the... Ad, well, the catalog. The, mm. the strange language catalog. Oh, would right, be, right. Those would be fascinating to see uh, in 3D models. Horrifying oh, yeah, or fascinating. Yeah. That'd be interesting. I think that would appeal to a rather small <laughs> <laughs> number of people. <laughs> I did actually think of... Or a lot of people. <laughs> I thought of um, making something like that, actually, you know, in a blister pack and with the crazy lettering and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if that would really fly. The porn toy market? <laughs> you could have a whole empire there. Uh, I would like to do some, some nude figures, actually, with my, like, crazy, fat, tealy women, but, uh, again... I'm not I'm sure who's going to want to own that. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> people, people like that stuff. I like that stuff. All right. There we go. I'll buy them all. <laughs> My commitment has been made. Um, it, with the Tina story, the art style is very different from anything else you've done. And anything else you've done since, I find. Mm -hmm. um, what was the choice with a really specific, less cartoony more deliberative um, 
I'm not sure how that came about exactly, but I just didn't want it to, I didn't want the story to look like drawings so much as they always had in the past, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but I find that when you take away the, the sort of delicate, careful technique and just make it a little more rough and spontaneous, it takes the focus away from the drawings and yeah. get, you know, puts it on the story. Um, so, you know, I looked at Crumb and Edward Sorrell a little bit and just sort of tried to make the inking of the drawings more, just less careful, basically. Just like okay. I would pencil it and then I would just kind of like scribble, try to scribble the drawing as much as I could. Is that kind of relieving in a way, being able mm -hmm. to just be more open like that? Oh yeah, it was a real eye-opener for me. I loved it. Um, one thing with your work uh, and is the idea of um, the story needs to be told. And what what is it about the saga with Tina? Like, a, it's not autobiographical at all from what I understand. No. Not at all. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, would, that would make your current relationship a little strange. Yeah, everyone assumes that it is. And yeah. it's just, it's a strange situation where I wrote an autobiographical story that was ex really, really long and encumbered um, about an experience I had in, in high school. Mm -hmm. um, and it just got so big and and unbearable that I I just you know shelved the whole thing and gave up on it. And then after several months or a year, maybe I don't I don't remember. I got the idea to just try and sort of take all that and and squash it down and and fictionalize it somehow. And so every single element in the first story became like a completely um, distorted version of, yeah. of itself. So, yeah, all the characters and scenarios are completely not um, <laughs> autobiographical, but it allowed me to like exercise all those things that I, was, that I was trying to address. There's something particular, and I don't know where to kind of put my finger on about that story, um, that I find kind of consuming. Like, I probably read it four or five times. Wow. Yeah, and, and I'm not one to reread a lot of comics. Um, and I don't know what it is. Like, what is it that sucks me into it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. But uh, I definitely, like, I'm, it's one of the few projects I've done where I'm happy to say that I, I think I pretty much nailed it. <laughs> Whatever it is. Um, like, I don't know how I did it, but I'm, I'm pretty proud of that book. Um... How do you feel it connects to the other two, to the Suckle one? I don't think it really does. Like you know, I, I think I was kind of stretching it when I when I described them as a, a some, somewhat of a trilogy. I think that sort of stems back to this idea I had where I wanted to have all three books in a boxed set eventually, <laughs> which would sort of become you know the official end of that chapter in my career. But uh, I mean, I guess there's some parallels, but it's not nothing really too substantial um one of the neat things in I think it was in Suckle is how you put yourself in there as the head right in the forest and it appears again in, in Crumple yeah that was going to become a sort of light motif in my books like Hitchcock yeah. or something but uh you walk by 
Hello. Or <laughs> 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 M Night is doing that now these days too, right? I haven't been able to watch anything he's <laughs> done in years. <laughs> Did you see that short film about him? No. What Somebody was it? made this uh, this film about him and how uh, well it just sort of makes a joke about his career. Um, how his own life has become like one of his films. <laughs> You're just waiting for the ending. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the surprise movie at the end will be like some kind of Orson Welles epic. <laughs> no surprise. Um, oh, sigh, sigh, sigh. I've just derailed myself completely. I'm curious uh, what the thing you were in, the baby tattoo film, what is that? I saw photos mm. of it, and it looked like basically like a whole bunch of amazing painters all kind of stuck together in mm-hmm. this building or something. It's, uh, it's I describe it as like a, um, a miniature convention. This guy, Bob Self, organizes it in a beautiful old hotel, the Mission Inn in Riverside, which is like this phenomenal, it's the most beautiful place I've ever stayed. Um, he allows 50 attendees to come, uh, but they each pay like $2,000 to attend for two days in this hotel. Um, so they're, you know, they get room and board, but then they get to hang around with the guests. And yeah. he, he hired, um, he invites 10 guests who are painters or cartoonists or whatever. And I guess the idea is that they, each person puts on a, a lecture of some kind or some kind of presentation or, and most of them provide little bits of free artwork for all the guests too. So that the guests end up going home with this huge bag of really cool shit. Nice. Um, and you just sort of socialize. So whereas with a convention you might get to meet an artist you admire for like one minute while they're signing your book, you can just have a drink yeah. with them and hang out with them. Yeah, it's neat. Like I saw photos on Facebook and it was like Ron English was there. Mm-hmm. You're mentioning Johnny mm-hmm. Ryan was there. Robert Williams. Michael Hussar. He had uh, he had his own room uh, that became sort of part of the event because he had all these like naked ladies in there. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess he was painting them, but basically, I mean, it was very uh, hedonistic kind of <laughs> atmosphere up there. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It's pretty out of control. Um, but one of the coolest parts is that anybody who's ever been invited is as an open invitation to come any subsequent year so that's why I was there this year and um, next year's going to be the fifth anniversary and he's inviting every single artist who's ever been invited to come back so there'll be 35 artists and 50 guests so the ratio is getting better and better (laughs) just going to hang out with someone all day Mm -hmm. Um, I notice you use a lot of black and red Mm -hmm. in your kind of your preparatory what is the those particular that contrast um, I just, I started doing it just to kind of make the process of inking more interesting for me. <coughs> so I started assigning red to flesh, basically, and oh, black okay. to just about anything else. And uh, often when I scan it and work on it in the computer, I'll just convert the red to black anyway, and just, you know, I'm basically inking it as though it was a fully black ink uh, drawing. But um, I just, I find that it gives the drawing a bit of life. And it gives me something to think about rather than just um, sort of doing it on road. So you do a little tweaking of the image in Photoshop, and then you kind of blow it up with the transparency. Oh, for uh, like paintings? 
Yeah. Yeah, usually the red is pretty irrelevant to that, too. Yeah. yeah I'll just sort of... Um, I put it on this great big 1950s um, projector that I had in my studio. So I can take a s small drawing and project it as large as I want on the wall and then just transfer it with a brush or something. Is that just to kind of get the basic outline and then you kind of take the transparency yeah. down? Yeah. Um, yeah, because in the old days, you know, I would use an old-fashioned technique of drawing a grid on the canvas and drawing a grid on the little drawing and then, like, transferring it all by hand. And I... I realize, like, there are some times where technology is really the way to go. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. There are even people who are printing, printing the drawing right onto the canvas now, like using a you know an inkjet printer. Yeah, and then just sort of painting it right on there. So I'm considering that even. How do you feel about different print technologies, G clays mm -hmm. and silk screen? Yeah, that's, that's a touchy one. That's a touchy one. Uh, that's a really touchy one. It's hard. I don't know. I mean, people people want to own prints of paintings that they can't afford. Yeah. But you know, a G clay printer is basically an inkjet printer. It's, there's no difference whatsoever. Yeah. Once maybe um, in general they use bigger, more expensive models or something. But um, you can go as big as it'll print. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah, you yeah. can. My studio mate has a printer. You could, you could do a print forty-four inches by one hundred feet if you wanted, <laughs> and like immaculate quality, yeah, just right. unbelievable quality. I remember I saw these all Columbia prints that were just, I don't know how big they were, hmm. just huge. Cool. Where did you see that? In Portland, at uh, Floating World. Cool. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think they're a little overpriced, basically. Yeah. And there's no. Um, there's no printmaking um, method really being employed, so to call them prints is kind of pushing it. Yeah. So. Do you ever do any kind of silk screen yes. or anything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say G-Clay. I mean, I'm guilty of it. You know, I, 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 I've got I do one. G -clays too. Uh, one of yours. <laughs> I try to, keep the, try to keep the prices down. Yeah. But, you know, there are some people out there who do huge print runs and they have the prices way up and they... The uh, profit margin was obscene. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you still, but uh, still screen prints? You do you still do them at all? I or? haven't done one in many many years, but I'm actually thinking of starting again when I'm in Portland during this tour. I'm hoping to go visit uh, Diesel Fuel Printing, get a tour, and um, hopefully uh, I want to do some gate posters. Zach Soto does some good printing too. Yeah. He did you see that he he Blue did a poster? Yeah. yeah. He did a very nice screen of an image of mine. He's a uh, he's a very nice man. I yeah, like Zach. Mm. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to meeting everybody together. There's uh, Portland's kind of a weird. I don't know if you've been there recently, but it's Never just been. like this cartooning oasis. Wow. Or it's just like so many cartoonists there. It's like it's. I feel really. Uh, I really regret not booking more days there. I'm only there for a day and a half. Yeah. And from what I've heard, it sounds like a really terrific place to visit. Well, I could give you a list of stuff to check out, but yeah. you probably already have a list. I have a list of three things. The printer, uh, a drum shop that I want to visit called <laughs> Revi Revival Drums or something, and uh, a donut shop that's supposed to be Oh, really Voodoo good. Donuts. Yeah. Is it as good as they say? It's a pretty good donut. There's one you can get that's like, uh, 
The cock and balls. What? <laughs> <laughs> the full, you know, wow. unit donut. Yeah. It's massive. Wow. Yeah, I told um, Mike Allred I wanted to go there. He's like, I don't see the attraction, but okay. <laughs> He's a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably eating a piece of celery instead. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the, the cock and ball uh, <laughs> would go well with the golden plates necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, I'm happy to be out here, and uh, I know a lot of Vancouver folks are pretty excited. It's been probably mm. about 15 years since we've been here. Yeah. How did you know that? Do my research. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have some friends, like, uh, I think it was one of Leonard Wong's cons. Yeah, yeah, that's Wong, right. So. Me and Pat. Uh, and here in the one in Van- uh, Victoria, I think, too. But yeah, I don't know Vancouver well at all, so no, it's I'm uh, happy to be looking it's around. It's a, it's a nice neighborhood. Mm. Lots to see, lots to do. Cool. So, well, thank you for coming to chat with me, Dave. Mm, thank you, Robin. Thanks,